The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Great show lined up today as Brandon Kravitz joins us to talk about Aaron Rodgers and Hub Arkush. Derek Futterman was on the conference call where Michelle Tafoya announced she was indeed leaving NBC earlier this week. He will join us coming up in just a bit as well. But first, I'm going to take you behind the scenes a little bit here at Barrett Sports Media. So on Monday... I wrote a piece that was kind of critical of ESPN's college football coverage and the fact that it has felt stale for the last handful of years and how I think some of the perspective being offered is very pro-coach and not at all uh, in line with the players and not at all reflective of the power that players are realizing they have always had and are just now able to flex that muscle a little bit. Well, I got an email from someone at ESPN that said some of my criticisms were valid. In other cases, they thought that there were things that I was missing, not considering, etc., etc. It was a very pleasant exchange back and forth between me and this person from ESPN. They made valid points, I think, as well, in terms of my criticism of everything on game day is country music or at least 10 years old at this point. They pointed out some things that they're using where that's not true, and, and, and that's fair. I mean, I find country music... So pop country, right? Like love Sturgill Simpson, love Steve Earle, but I'm talking about like the Nashville garbage. I find it so atrocious that it probably stands out more to me than actually it is being used on game day, right? Totally fair. This week when ESPN announced that they were indeed hiring Pete Thamel to serve as their Adam Schefter-like insider for college football, I couldn't help but think, man, this is a step in the right direction because... I think one of the things that game day has suffered from, and this is totally understandable given the power in college football right now in terms of, you know, we keep seeing the same teams at the top. I think sometimes the way game day talks about the sport is very much from the perspective of the coaches they are around all the time, right? For instance, uh, Kirk Herbstreet's sons played for Dabo Swinney at Clemson. Add to that the fact that they, college game day, goes to Clemson at least once a year at this point, and you understand how that particular voice can be so influential in the way guys on that show view the sport. Well, I think if they are going to bring in, if ESPN is going to use the Adam Schefter, Woj, Jeff Passan insider model for college football, given what the sport is now, that means Thamel's going to have to be pretty well-sourced with players. He's going to have to know what is going on in the portal. He's going to have to know the ins and outs of some NIL deals and how that is affecting who is going where. And I think someone a little bit more tied into the player side of things, having a presence not just on ESPN but on game day specifically, really does address some of those balance issues that I brought up in the column. Sometimes it is easy to wonder if Aaron Rodgers has valid things he needs to say about the media or if he just likes talking. Now, this all sort of started last week, and it has been one domino falling for the guy after the other. Brandon Kravitz wrote a great piece for us on Monday about the sort of confrontation. And confrontation is the wrong word, I guess, Brandon, because it's not like 
Aaron Rodgers and Hub Arkush have spoken to one another. Aaron Rodgers wants us very definitively to know that. Uh, but it is interesting that whether it's Hub Arkush, whether it is Boomer and Geo, Aaron Rodgers seems eager to fight with the media. Yes, that is uh, that's in his personality. I think we're seeing that in a lot of public figures. There are those that just they love to be the antagonist and they, and they kind of love to bark back and punch back um, at the media at large. And, and hub gave him the opportunity to do that with the comments that he made. I mean, he kind of served Aaron, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need any added motivation to take a shot at the media. <laughs> right. And hub gave him a very good reason. I mean, I have, I've gone on record and the, the whole uh, interview that he had with Pat McAfee and the ivermectin stuff and the yeah. Joe Rogan advice. All of that was very weird to me. It was all bizarre. It kind of, it, it ruined a level of credibility for Aaron Rodgers. But for this one, I'm behind Rodgers. I mean, you, you have a, you, you have an AP MVP voter uh, that's out there saying, I'm not going to vote for a guy because I don't like him. That's everything that people slam us in the media for. <laughs> and he, and, and hub just put that out there um, it was just cannon fodder for people like Aaron Rodgers. You know, what's interesting is I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that there are times where Aaron Rodgers, like I've often said, I don't think he has a personality of his own. I think he's a very boring guy that morphs into whoever, whoever is around him, uh, at the time. That being said, like, you're absolutely right. If you do not know the story, for those of you listening, Hub Arkush uh, basically told Parkins and Spiegel on 670 The Score up in Chicago that he's not going to vote for Aaron Rodgers uh, no matter what happened on the field uh, this season for NFL MVP because he thinks he is, quote, the biggest jerk in the league. He is a bad guy. And he says this goes back to before the COVID vaccine stuff that over the summer he held his team hostage. And this is where I think Hub Arkush really lit a fire for himself. He said his motivation or his justification that he does not have to consider what happened on the field is what if it had come down to one game uh, that Aaron Rodgers could not play in order to secure home field advantage throughout the playoffs or buy or anything like that. Um, it did and they won. Like that's, that's literally something that did not happen. If we're judging MVPs based on what could have happened as opposed to what did, like the, the whole thing is out of whack. And to a certain extent, I give Hub Arkush a certain bit of credibility for being honest about something we know is kind of happening anyway with a lot of these people. But man, it, to me, and I don't know how you talk it, that one sentence undid anything, any sort of credibility that Hub Arkush might have had in his argument. Yeah. And you know, what's frustrating too, is that, I mean, I wish I was an MVP voter. What a cool sure. thing to be able to have on your resume and to be, there's only 50 of them. Uh, and so to be one of those is that's prestigious and you take that seriously and remove your bias, your personal bias against somebody. There are so many reasons not to vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP, <laughs> right? None of which have to do with him as a person or his play on the field. How about you could say Tom Brady was great. Joe Burrow led the Bengals to the playoffs and beat the Chiefs. And there's so many of uh, Jonathan Taylor was the best running back in the league. There are so many reasons to not vote for Aaron Rodgers. I personally think he's the MVP, but if you wanted to make a case for Tom, I'd have a hard time screaming at you about it. But to use that as your reason, uh, it, it just it does take away all of the credibility of somebody that is supposed to be unbiased. And that was my whole point in the article is, 
I appreciate the honesty too, but honesty doesn't negate stupidity. If oh, I sure. told my wife that I cheated, she'll appreciate, she, I mean, maybe down the road, she'd appreciate my honesty, <laughs> but I don't think we've been having a conversation about how honest I am, you know? So, you know, that only takes you so far. Uh, I like the, I like it personally because I like to know what people are actually feeling, but there are certain things that you should just keep to yourself. Uh, otherwise you're sort of exposing uh, a part of this business that you don't need to, or maybe that's part of the equation is that we need to take people out of it anyway, because at this point, there's no way when writers become personalities and they still hold prestigious votes like this, there's no way to take your personal feelings out of it. So that's kind of where I want to wrap up with you. Cause you put this in the article that maybe there is some sort of algorithm or formula that we follow for who is the MVP. I mean, the simplest thing to me is to say, who was the best player on the best team? Who's the player most responsible for the best team success? I think you mentioned Jonathan Taylor had a great year. You could make a case he is the most outstanding player, but the Colts could have not made the playoffs without him, right? Like, if it, it seems to me, if you go as emotionless and math-based as possible, Aaron Rodgers is kind of undeniable. So is that the direction we're headed? You know, I, it's such a great conversation to have as, as to how you come up with that. I think for me personally, you have to try and remove the layers of uh, position and make everything relative. Because if you were just to say, just strictly based on the definition of the word value, nobody but a quarterback would ever win the award. <laughs> right? And that's Fair. basically how it is now anyway. But I think if you, in whatever way, if we could come up with a way like we do with so many other things to make this somewhat analytical, Pro Football Focus does an incredible job with player grades. Uh, and they don't do player grades per position. They just, they uh, analyze your play on the field and give you an overall letter grade as if you were a student in a class. Uh, if we were to come up with a way to do that, where the highest graded player of the year was the MVP, uh, then it wouldn't necessarily matter what position you play and we could kind of level the playing field a little bit because if we're just handing the, the, the MVP award to quarterbacks, you know, I mean, after a while, it just gets kind of boring like that. So if you could come up with a system, and I think that you can because there are so many out there that remove bias, that um, remove the knee-jerk, easy, low-hanging fruit of we're just going to vote for the most outstanding quarterback, the guy who threw for the most yards and the most touchdowns, and I'm going to submit my vote in the end. There's got to be a better way to do this. Or maybe, you know, maybe we come up with a system where you have one part writer, one part fan, one part peers and players, and one part analytics and kind of smash it all together like it's an all-star vote. There's just better ways to do this. And I think if, if I learned anything from Hub Arkush and, and his comments, it's that the system is broken. And I think it's time to take a look at how we can fix it. While the news itself has been a poorly kept secret, NBC confirmed earlier this week that Michelle Tafoya will be done as their lead sideline reporter for all of their NFL broadcasts after this year's Super Bowl. Derek Futterman was on the conference call where not only did Michelle Tafoya address this, Fred Gadelli, uh, the executive producer that brought her in first to ABC to do Monday Night Football and then uh, to Sunday Night Football on NBC was on that call as well. You know, Derek, so much rumor and speculation and innuendo surrounded uh, Tafoya's, let's say, less than well-received appearance on The View. How surprised were you to learn that this is not a reaction, 
the bye weeks were not a punishment for anything that, if anything, Michelle Tafoya has been in this role on NBC sidelines for longer than she anticipated she would be. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just the timing of the whole thing. I mean, when you go on The View and you're giving personal opinions about COVID and then Colin Kaepernick and that entire situation, obviously her not being on the air a few short weeks later on NBC does you know, bring up some speculation about what it could be. But we found out yesterday, of course, that this decision had been in the works since before the COVID-19 pandemic, and she stuck with the team to help them get through this difficult time. Now, she's been in sports media since 1993, done a variety of sideline roles, not only for football, but for basketball and swimming in the Olympics as well, even covering Michael Phelps' uh, fifth and sixth Olympics. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, if she still wanted to be in sports television, she would not have given up this job. So clearly her next venture which she did allude and didn't give much on, but she did allude that it would allow her to give a little more of her personal opinion uh, that it will not be in the realm of sports television. That is what I found really interesting is trying to figure out in my head, okay, how are we at this point where two years ago is the first time she brings up to NBC that she is ready to move on. And yet it does sound like she is moving on to something specific. I know you said she didn't give details, but just from the way she was talking on that call, the way Fred was talking about her on that call, it doesn't come across like she is going to some sort of competitor. I mean, remember, NBC is not just a sports outlet, right? Like, they have a news department. They have opinion-based shows. It came across to me like maybe Michelle Tafoya is just going off to do her own thing at this point, and there's plenty of opportunity to do that in this media landscape. Could be. I mean, she could get into podcasting. She did radio in the past. Uh, there are certainly being on The View. I mean, I don't know how the people at The View thought she, how she did, but maybe if that went well, she could have a role on that kind of a show on some network, even if it's The View itself. Uh, I mean, we really don't have any idea. She declined to talk about future opportunities. But again, uh, she did say that she was grateful for the NBC crew working with Fred Gadelli, Al Michaels, the late John Madden, and Chris Collinsworth all the years she's she's been on. And she has until the Super Bowl, so we'll see her for a few more games on the sidelines this season. You mentioned John Madden, and that was sort of the last thing that I wanted to touch on this with you. And, and I do wonder, listening to everybody's comments on that conference call, this really does, even though Madden moved on a long time ago, this really does feel like there is a major closing of the book on the initial era of Sunday Night Football on NBC. With Madden's passing, Michaels, it seems like, is going to be at least working with that crew, but on Amazon, not NBC. And now Michelle Tafoya walking away as well. This is going to be a major sea change for what has become the NFL's marquee broadcast every week. Well, they got the heck of a regular season finale, right? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that uh, Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles game. Oh, my goodness. But yes, it does seem like a changing of the guard. Again, Michelle Tafoya is not going to be there next year. All signs are pointing to Al Michaels joining Amazon for that Thursday night broadcast. So we'll see what happens. I mean, again, Sunday Night Football on NBC has always been a consistent uh, rating uh, broadcast for the ratings. And uh, without Tafoya and without Al Michaels, they're going to have to make some changes. I know that Michelle always mentioned that the small moments with the crews, whether that be uh, during production meetings or being on John Madden's bus traveling around the country, <laughs> those were the moments that she remembers and will cherish uh, from her time as a sideline reporter and also the relationships that she fostered with the players. But certainly, and Fred Gadelli said this, that Michelle Tafoya has uh, changed the game up the standard for what it means to be a sideline reporter in the National Football League. Thanks to Brandon and to Derek for taking the time to join me today. As for what we were watching next week, this is a real change for me because I usually hate being the person that 
watches television ratings and ascribes some sort of meaning to them when it comes to sports, right? But I am going to be very curious as the ratings come out for the Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL, I'm going to be very curious how the Monday night game does. I'm going to be very curious how the Nickelodeon game does, especially given the fact that now that is also Amazon's playoff game. So there are so many different ways to experience, uh, what is that? That is the Cowboys and the 49ers. I'm very interested to see what the NFL learns from all of the experimenting they are doing very much in real time in these playoffs. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about that a little bit next week. Until then, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com. 